<clears throat> Welcome back. Uh, good morning. We're going to be talking about why do we pray part nine, what consumes you. And uh, we've been talking about prayer for the last few times. Uh, we've been talking about uh, the breakdown of prayer. We're going to just kind of review that again just to make sure everybody's got that down. We're, we're over here in Matthew chapter 6, verse, uh, let's see, 9 uh, through 13. I'm going to go ahead and read this passage real quick. Our father, he says, when you pray, pray like this. This is Jesus teaching his disciples. They said, hey, teach us how to pray. So he's like, hey, this is how you pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So the first series, man, we talked about, um, about worship. Or the second time, we talked about worship and about our, our communion with the Father and about our relationship with him. And so then the second part says, your kingdom come, your will be done. Uh, <clears throat> so we talked about uh, thankfulness. And we talked about worship and how important it was to break through. And then we got to this part right here, your kingdom come, your will be done. And that one was the last two or three times we, we were coming together, talking about how God's kingdom's come and we have to pray his will be done and not, not resting on our experience to determine God's will, but looking at his word to determine his will instead of just your experience. And, and then we've also, the, 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 even the first two times we came together talking about Thanksgiving, that's kind of been a, a, a running line through the whole time refocusing our faith that's what thanksgiving is refocusing our faith and saying <clears throat> i know i'm going through a tough time right now but i'm gonna be thankful anyway because my god is good and this is what he's done for me and so that actually leads even into today's teaching which is going to be about um provision uh, it says give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts um as we also forgive our debtors um these have kind of been going back and forth we've, we've seen last time we talked about how important it was to be making peaceful how, how to be peaceful with people and have, make, be a peacemaker um, b between you and God and how that was the foundation of our entire faith and then how it's important to have faith, have a peace with our brethren and our families because that is the, uh, that's what our peace with God uh, was the foundation for so that we can have peace with people, see? So you have peace with God through the, through the cross and then peace with people and, and so we can see how uh, we've pretty much touched on that already last time without even really highlighting that um, in this verse. <clears throat> but today we're going to talk, talk a little bit more like get, about giving us this day our daily bread. We're talking about God's provision. And we're going to talk about what really consumes us and the danger of this, of this prayer. You know, we have a really hyper-prosperity teaching nowadays. I believe it's hyper-prosperity preaching. Now, I do... I do believe in prosperity. I do believe the scripture teaches that. I do believe it's for us. I do believe it's a promise. But I almost believe people worship it. Okay? And so we're going to talk about that today because the scripture talks about our provision when we pray. I do believe that God has made it very clear in his word that a, a father, a righteous man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. Mm -hmm. But you have to keep in mind this comes from the heart of God. So if, if we don't go back to the heart of God first, if we aren't, um, going there first, we're always going to mess up the rest of it. Okay, it's always going to be skewed. It's always going to be out of alignment. And so, it's it's just like you know that this you've heard those illustrations. We talk about if you're one degree off on your compass, you know, then a hundred miles down the road, you're miles and miles and miles away from your destination. <clears throat> and it's just because you have one degree off. And so the same thing with the cornerstone. If anybody's familiar with what a cornerstone stone is, I'll just do a little illustration here. If your if your cornerstone isn't perfectly square, like mine was, just wasn't a second ago, then you know the cornerstone is what all the other stones come off of. And so if the cornerstone is cut wrong, then 
the whole wall gets off. Okay? And it's the same thing with when you build a modern day house when it's called everything's square. They call it, hey, is it squared up? You know? I misspelled that. Squared. Squared. Not squirrel. That looks like squirrel. Squared. <laughs> squared, all right? And so the right angle, man, it's like the perfect angle for building a square house. All right, so if we don't have, or we say square or we say level, all right? And the scripture uses what we call a plumb line. And what that is, if you don't know what that is, is a string with a, a weight on the bottom, which is showing you perfect levelness, okay? And they talk about that. Uh, that helps you. I mean, I'm sure that the plumb line helps you with plumbing, you know what I mean? And I don't even know all the details behind that. But the plumb line describes something that's perfect, something that's in line, all right? So all of these things are go back to being a cornerstone. They go back to being um, made right. That's just cool right there. You know, righteousness. You know, the scripture says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all these things that you're worried about will fall into place. And the reason why is because we have to remember that Jesus is the cornerstone. He is the first thing that you lay down on your foundation of your entire house. And so, if you're over here concerned about this stuff, but you're not concerned about this, everything's going to get off. You see what I'm saying? This is, this is the chief thing right here, man. The chief thing. The number one thing. It's not just the number one thing. It's the thing you think about every time you put another block down. You know? Every time, I mean, they carry those levels when they build, when they build houses with them. Every time they put up a new stud, they level it. Every time they put another stud up, they level. Every time they put something else on the floor or in the ceiling, everything has to be level. So, so check this out. A lot of people say, well, I need to be concerned with, with this over here and this one over there. But, but are you putting the level up to it? Does that make sense? <laughs> so when it talks about seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, we're talking about putting up a level, putting up Christ up next to it and making sure that it's level. Does that make sense? All right, so... In that, with that in mind, we're going to talk about provision. We're going to talk about what consumes you. Listen, when you talk to a carpenter, he is consumed by this level. He is consumed by it. Now, yes, he builds the whole house. All the other things happen. But this is every time he goes back to this. Every time. Every time. Every single time. Otherwise, the whole house gets off. And then the next guy that comes behind him is like, look what you gave me. I remember my dad, man. He's building in the house. And he's doing construction and stuff in my house. He's, he was 20 years in the Navy, did, was a CB, did carpentry. And we go to our houses. Every time we went to a house, he'd want to remodel. He'd do something in the bathroom. He'd do something in the kitchen. And every single time he'd come behind somebody else's work, he'd always get irritated. <laughs> Say, man, these people did this wrong. Da-da-da-da-da, you know? This thing's not level. Da-da-da-da, you know? My dad wasn't like a real grumpy like guy. I was just making a voice. But anyway, that's how he, that's how he would do it every time. He was always not happy with the guy the previous guy's work. You know what's crazy about this? This you want to know you want to understand generational curses? This is generational curse right here. This is how generational curses begin. One father didn't set the level up. And then his son built on top of what the father had. Amen. And then his son built on top of what his father had. Amen. That's a generational curse. Whoa man. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> we keep coming up behind some bad carpenters, baby. <laughs> We need to go back to the carpenter, <laughs> Jesus Christ, <laughs> and get some leveling on our, on our houses, man. And this is good stuff. This is good word. Thank you, Jesus, man. So 
Check this out. Uh, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 through 34, that's where we're going to go today. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 through 34. It says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life and what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither, they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? That's good. And which of you, being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither spin nor toil. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O oh, you of little faith. Now this is powerful right here, man. We got to get this. Jesus, Jesus is talking to us and he's helping us grasp something. You know, he's saying, why are you worried? When we worry, then it's a direct reflection of our faith. Now, we can't, we can't get upset about that. We just have to grow from that. You know what I mean? The disciples didn't get upset when he said that to them. They just took it. And they said, okay, so what, what do I need to change my faith? You know, Jesus is the one who offers all truth. So I have an understanding about something, but he has perfect understanding. He is the level. You know, sometimes I don't understand why we're doing it like this. But God said to do it like that. So I'm just going to trust him, you know. And I'm, it may not look like it's going to work out for me in my mind. But he's level. So if I trust him, he promises to take care of me. You see what I'm saying? All I have to do is obey him and trust him and, obey, and do what he says. And it doesn't matter. I will look at my life and it will look like it's not going to work out. You know, I was uh, in my office back there. And the Lord showed me. He said, uh, you know, I always, I always think about that, you know, about faith. How faith without impossibility is not faith at all, you know. It's impossible to have faith without impossible, without impossibility. And I almost like felt like the Lord gave me another another way to say it, man. Faith cannot even breathe until the atmosphere is filled with impossibility. You know? There's got to be a point like our faith is not even brought alive until it's thick with impossibility. It's it's it just doesn't even can't even light. You know what I mean? So it's the same with God, man. God is always taking us to a place of impossibility. And he's always saying, I'm going to I'm going to shame the wise with the foolish. You think you're going to you, you think in your wisdom, you can Look, I I know all things. You just do what I said. Trust me. You think you got it all together, but I got it all together. I've made everything. I know the beginning from the end. If you'll just listen to me, I'll get you through it. Just obey me. <laughs> Does that make sense? You know, one of the Israelites, let me show you this. When the Israelites were running away from the Egyptians, they were going around the Red Sea. They were going around it, and God said, turn back. And they turned back, and they went to a place called Pi-Haharoth. This place called Pi-Haharoth was enclosed. It was trapped. It was, a, it was a place they could not get out of. And if you're one of the Israelites, you're thinking to yourself, well, we had it, man. We were going around, God. You took us the wrong way. You turned us, you, you told us to take a left when we are supposed to take a right. Don't you know? Like, they're talking to God, you know? <laughs> right? And God's like, I'm still going to get you there. Don't worry about it. <laughs> and then you get to this place, and it's like, there's no way out. The place is called, like, the word Pi literally means there's no way out. 
It means the trapped place. It means the enclosed place. So they're stuck with a sea in front of them and the mountains behind them. And then the Egyptians come up on the mountains. It says they looked up and saw the Egyptians. They were on the mountains and the only thing that they had over here was the sea. There was no way out. Absolutely no way out. And they could have looked at God and said, you're a fool. You're an idiot. Why'd you tell us to go this way? And they did do that. They took the most. Was it because there was not enough graves in Egypt that you led us here in the wilderness to die? <laughs> and they were doing that already, you know? And then the Lord's like, why are you crying out to me? Shut up. That's what he said. <laughs> well, he didn't say that in you know, our translation, but he said, be still. And no, he says, listen, be still. Why are you crying out to me? Uh, be still. He says, there, let's go to, I don't want to botch it up here. Exodus chapter 14. He says, be still. In other words, shut up. <laughs> oh, man. He says, fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see, today you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. And you have only to be silent. <laughs> shut up. <laughs> this is awesome, man. This is what God, God's looking at. Hey, be quiet. Hey, be quiet. You don't know nothing. <laughs> and they're looking at their surroundings like, it looks like we're going to die, you know? So this is, this man, we've got to get to the point where we literally follow God to the place where it looks like we're going to die. Woo! <laughs> you know? Wow, man, I'm telling you, this is powerful stuff right here. This is, this is faith, man, to go to the grave for Jesus, man. To say, I'm going to follow the Lord no matter what. Even if it costs me everything. You know Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, when they were standing before Nebuchadnezzar, he's like, they're like, if you don't bow down to this God, we're going to kill you. And, they, and so everybody starts bowing down but these three guys. And I'm sure Daniel was in there too. They just didn't mention him. I don't know why. He was all in the same crowd. Maybe he just wasn't in the same area. I don't know. Anyway, so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're sitting there. They won't bow down. So the people go down to Nebuchadnezzar and they say, hey, look, there's three guys out there and they're not bending down. They're not bowing down to the God you created. And Nebuchadnezzar comes out there and says, why won't you bow down? He goes, I'm not going to bow down to some false god. We're only, we worship our God, the true God alone. That's it. He said, well, don't you know if you, if you don't bow down, you're going to die. So he says, listen, our God is mighty to save. And he'll deliver us. And you know what? Even if he doesn't save us, we still aren't going to bow down. You know? Why? Because they know, they trusted the Lord no matter what. They didn't care if they lost their life. But they also believed God would deliver them. They didn't care how he delivered them in the afterlife or right now. They didn't care. They were sold out. They were sold out for Jesus. I mean, well, for God. They didn't have Jesus at the time. Um, or they didn't know about Jesus at the time. So next thing you know, man, they don't bow down. So they get thrown into the little fiery furnace. They turn it, what, I don't know, 10 times hotter? I can't remember. Seven times hotter? Okay? The guards die. Trying to throw that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire. They die, and they find... <laughs> That's funny. They're not even in the fire, man. It's so hot, they pass out and die. And then they fall in the fire... And everything, nothing happens to them except their cords burn up. This is so cool, dude. Huh? Yeah, and then they see four people. Wasn't there, look, I thought we had three people in there. Where's, where's why there's four? There's one there looks like the son of man. So check this out, dude. They're in there, and they're, listen, listen. It's <clears throat> what consumes you. What consumes you? You know what consumed them? God consumed them. And they got in the fire. They went through the fire. And in the fire, all their bonds were broken. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> Dude, if you want to, 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 if you want freedom in your life, true freedom, you've got to follow God unto death. 
Because sometimes in the dying process is when all your bonds break. Listen, do you know the scripture actually says that? That, that sin is destroyed in death? <laughs> Romans says that. It says oh, we can only be freed from our sin through death. Sometimes God takes us through a dying process. The true scripture talks about that, how in the Old Testament, if something that was unclean, they'd wash it first. And if that didn't work, they'd put fire on it to burn the impurities out. There's this, and you, you know, uh, so we're talking about the washing of, of everything, right? So they'd take a tool, and if it, if, it, if it wouldn't wash, then they would burn it, you know? In other words, metal, they'd burn it. The things that were harder, they'd burn. The things that were softer, they'd wash, you know? Do you know that the flood was a washing of the whole world? And in the end times, it's going to be burnt up in fire. God's all about dying and restoration. All about death and resurrection. Being, you know, dying to self and being born again. You know, and being purified through that dying process. This is actually what makes us holy. Is picking up our cross, following Jesus unto death. You know, and it's, it's, it's the fact that we've chosen to follow Jesus unto death. That's our faith, man. We know that it's only in the death of Christ that we were made holy. You know what I mean? So we follow him there. It's, it's entering into his death and then, and then being raised with him. See, we inherit everything he inherits. We follow him. It's like, it's like Jesus, uh, you know, takes a rope, puts it on his belt loop, and sticks it to my belt loop. Wherever he goes, I'm going. He's going to go into death. I'm going into death and he's coming back out. And so am I, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm latched to him. You know what I'm saying? I ain't going nowhere. And that's the way it is when, whenever you trust the Lord, he's going to take you to those places of impossibility. He's going to take you to places where you can't worry about anything else but him. It's pretty powerful. All right. So check this out. But if I, so we're back in Matthew chapter 6, verse 30. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is <clears throat> alive and thrown, uh, and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you little faith. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? Where shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. He knows. God knows. He's like, I know you need them all. Chill. <laughs> He's following me, man. <clears throat> Verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. I wrote some things on here I'm going to read out. Anxiety, worry, and fear are all, form of, are all a form of faith. Anxiety, worry, and fear are all a form of faith. All right, listen. It's the thing that you believe is going to happen. Well, I'm not going to have enough money. You believe that. If you're worried about it, then you believe it. Does that make sense? It's actually faith. I, I, I call fear and faith the same, it's the same coin, but just the opposite side, okay? Fear and faith, they're the same coin, but you just flip it over, okay? And that's the one you're believing in, okay? So, does that make sense? If I'm always worried that I'm going to get sick, then I have faith that I'm going to be sick. Does that make sense? So, worry, now check this out. What is this? Um, anxiety, worry, fear, all right? <clears throat> when we worry about something... There is something in us that believes that that thing's not going to work out. The reason Jesus warns us about anxiety is because of the power of faith. Okay? Anxiety is faith. It's just faith in something negative. Or it's faith in... We, all, we normally connotate anxiety with something to be evil, okay? Or fear to be something with evil. But the scripture says fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Okay? So if I said, hey, don't be... <clears throat> 
worried about your money. Be worried about the Lord. See how that word now all of a sudden becomes a good connotation? <clears throat> if I say, uh, don't care about your money, care about the Lord. See? It, don't be anxious about the money. Be anxious for the Lord. You know? I want the Lord. You know, I want this to happen. I'm, what does that mean? You know what all this means is that your mind is consumed with the thought of. That's what fear is. Fear is when your mind is consumed with the thought of. Okay? That's why it's good to fear the Lord. Because your mind is consumed with the thought of the Lord. You see what I'm saying? <clears throat> it's something that drives you. It's something... Does that make sense? And I believe that there's probably some words in here in the Greek and, and maybe even the Hebrew that I don't fully understand and maybe could bring a little bit more light to this. And if I find those things out, I'll bring them into a teaching. But this is what I'm, I'm only using my understanding in the English about this, you know. And, and there may be a reason why. Uh, but, I mean, the scripture talks about, you know, God being a terror. You know what I mean? The terrible day of the Lord. You know what I mean? Because God is a God to be feared. There's, does that make sense? There's some things there that are like a terror. But then there's also things that's just, we need to be consumed with the thought of. Does it make sense? <clears throat> All right. He knows the power of faith. Even faith for evil things to happen, right? Or faith in worldly things. <clears throat> At the root of anxiety and worry is care. Even love. The love for. Okay? <clears throat> love of what, thing, of what that thing has to offer you. Okay? Even if it's ungodly. Basically, it's love of self. You know what I'm saying? It's a love of self. The way we get rid of anxiety is to not love the things of this world and what they have to offer us. God must be enough. Okay, we talked about that a little bit yesterday. God must be enough. <clears throat> the reason we worry about money, relationships, food, and shelter so much is because we believe in their power and how they benefit us. See? All right, but if we realize that all of our source came from him only, we would just be completely consumed with him and then he would he would be the source of our food and our clothing and our family and our finances. Okay? In other words, we must not fear for money or relationship or food or shelter or provision, but we must fear the Lord. Okay? Um, and we talked about the, the title is being consumed. It's what consumes our thoughts. <clears throat> All right? And uh, I wrote on here, we must learn how to cast our cares on him. All the things we're worried about, we must learn to cast those cares on him and only be concerned about Christ alone. Let him take care of our needs. The thing that you dwell on the most, watch this, the thing that you dwell on the most, that's your treasure. The thing that your mind is consumed with, that is your treasure. Okay? Why? Because your mind, your soul, it makes up your heart. Okay? Wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Think about that. If 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 I'm if I'm gonna be uh a fisherman, right? And all I can think about is fishing. Then my heart is in fishing. Therefore, my treasure, see? Wherever my treasure is, that's where my heart is. So I value, I have this treasure called fishing. And so wherever the treasure is, that's where my heart's going to be. All right? If I treasure, does that make sense? That's a good thing. That makes sense enough. Okay, so Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, it says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven. Where neither moth nor rust destroys, and neither thieves, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye, and then the scripture talks about what is it, what use is it to gain the whole world but lose your soul? You know? Because you're gonna go wherever your soul is. Mm -hmm. You're gonna go wherever your heart is. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Wherever that treasure is going, that's where your heart's going. Make sense? 
<clears throat> the eye, so what you focus on, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is your darkness? Dude, I've never understood that verse until I started teaching on this, until I did their homework on this. I've, I always thought that passage was so out of place. But it's actually talking about what you set your eyes on. It's what you're focused on. It's what you're, what you're consumed with. That's why it puts it right here. It's saying, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye, what you're focused on, what you're looking to, what you're seeking after, is the lamp of the body. And if your eye is healthy, your whole body. So, if I'm consumed with the thought of, if my, if my eyes are fixed, this is so good. If my eyes are fixed on this treasure on earth, then I'm going to be dark. But if my eyes are fixed on Christ, then he adds everything to me. You see? All right. Verse 24 says, No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Another scripture says mammon, which is actually the God of money. Okay? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Provision is a hard subject because we associate it with a need, not just a want. But these are the root of many problems and corruptions. God must be enough. And, God, and, and, and I've, I've told people this many times, especially when they want to leave the program or something uh, for their kid or for a family. And I look at them and say, listen, the devil always takes something that you think is good, that was good, and twists it. He always twists the truth. So people a lot of times will make a decision based off a good intention, but that intention was now twisted because it wasn't, didn't have a level on it. See? And so then people leave prematurely and they go seek after the things of the world. Matthew chapter 13 says, talks about how that's like the, the, the seed was fell uh, along the thorns and the thorns choked it out because it was the cares of the world. And that's what it's talking about. That's why Jesus said you have to abandon all things. That's why it's such a hard thing to concept, or such a hard concept to grasp. Because we love those things, man. But we have to remember, if they're not in line with the level, if they're not in line with the level, then it's all going to be, you know, corrupted. John chapter twenty-one, verse one through nineteen. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and the two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, hey, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got in the boat, but that night they caught nothing. <clears throat> now what's crazy is, you know, if you, study this, if you study John, you'll notice that two times Jesus appears to them. At the beginning, when they get called, he says, hey, put your nets on the right-hand side. Boom, they catch all these fish. And then he says, I'm going, to, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. He gave him a new identity. After he died and rose again, they forgot this. And they went back to what they used to know, which was fishing. They went back to fishing. And then Jesus shows up again in this story. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. The disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to him, children, do you have any fish? <laughs> so, hey, you trying it in your own mind? Hey, is it working out for you? <laughs> Hey, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said, cast it down on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. They've been fishing all night long. In the, you know, <laughs> like, Jesus, I mean, they didn't know it was Jesus at the moment, you know, not until they saw the catch, but they're like, you can imagine what they're thinking. This, look at this crackpot over here. He's over here, just shows up at the last minute, thinks he knows everything. 
I've been doing this all night. You know what people tell me? I'm a grown man. <laughs> I've been doing this. I'm a grown man. Jesus is going to show up at the last minute when, and you're going to have to just submit to his wisdom. You're going to think you got it all together. You've been doing this for years. The Lord's like, listen, I got, listen, if you just listen to me, I'll make things work out for you. So they cast the net, right? So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. Then Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord. He put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it and bread. It's so cool. So Jesus doesn't even have to go fishing. He already got fish on the grill. <laughs> hey, y'all go there. Hey, you know what? I'm going to, hey, don't even, don't even use your stockpile. I'll just provide my own fish. <laughs> it's like already fishing. Anyway, I, I guess I'm the only one who thinks that's funny, but I think it's hilarious. Jesus didn't even go fishing. He already had fish on the fire. All right. With fish laid on, out on it and bread. And Jesus said to him, bring some of the fish that you have caught, you've just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. That's a really good word, by the way. Listen, you know, not only, man, not only is God going to deliver you from your impossibility. He's going to give you an impossibility that you couldn't possibly handle apart from his supernatural ability. The thing that's going to come because you trust him is going to be so grand, you couldn't possibly contain it in your own might. That somehow, miraculously, your nets will hold the catch that God had planned for you that you never were prepared for. This is good. So it's not just a deliverance. It's a, it, there, this comes down to that, you know, I talk about high for prosperity. We're talking about true prosperity now. That what God gives you is going to be so much you really couldn't handle it anyway. If you caught it on your own. Alright, check this out. Verse 12, Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish, this was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus came to Simon Peter. He said, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? You know? That, that scripture verse hit me a long time ago, man. Simon Peter, do you love me more than these? And he wasn't talking about, he was talking about the fish, man. Do you love me more than these? This is so good, man. Do you love me more than these? He already gave him an assignment. Go fish for men. And then he went back to go fish for fish. Simon Peter, do you love me more than these? And he goes, yes, Lord. Well, let me give you your assignment again since you forgot. Feed my lambs. I didn't tell you to go fishing in the sea anymore. I told you to go fish for men. See? So, but, but Lord, how am I going to feed my family? Go feed my lambs. But I got to catch fish to feed my family. Go feed my lambs. You know? Do you love me more than these? This is, what, this is, this is, the, this is the test right here, man. What consumes you? Is Jesus consuming you or is the fish consuming you? The thing that you're used to, your old way of thinking... You know, man, it's so hard to jog your way of thinking and recondition your brain. It's hard because it's a dying process, you know? All right, keep going. He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. 
He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had asked him a third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. This gives me so much courage, dude. This goes, gives me so much encouragement. Because, because you know, a lot of times, man, we have our... You know, I, I deal with this on a regular basis. People will say things that I know that they wouldn't have said if they had been walking in the Spirit of God. But they reverted back to an old way of thinking. They said this thing because they, for some reason they didn't kill this part of them. They say this thing that was part of their old way of thinking, and it's not the way that they are now. It's not their new identity. It's who they were, and they just reverted back to it because they got stressed out. Okay? Because they got started to worry. Well, what is that? Putting your worry back into the world. Well, what does that mean? I got to go back to the old way of thinking so I can provide for the ways of the world. But when I start walking in the spirit, I'm going to talk, start talking differently, you know? And so then this gives me whole, so much more mercy towards people. When I see Peter, I'm like, man, Peter, he reverted back to an old way of thinking. When he got met, when he got stressed out, he went back to an old way of thinking. He started doing things the way he used to do them. And when God, when Jesus showed up, he said, hey, hey, do you love me? Yes, you know I love you. And so I realized this, man. It's a love for Jesus. Watch this, guys. It is the love for Jesus that causes me to change the way I think. It's a love for Christ. If I can't teach one thing, if I could just teach one thing, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all your mind and all your soul and everything that you are, you know? That's what changes your thinking. When you're sold out and you're not trying to people please, when you're sold out for God and God alone, you know, not to please a pastor, to please a teacher, or to please a boss, or to please an employer. I'm here to please the Father, and that's it. And then he'll make me a blessing wherever I am. You see what I'm saying? And I will gain favor of men, but first I must gain favor with God. You know? We already have favor with God because of Jesus, but my point is, when we, when we develop relationship with the Lord, he gives us these desires of our heart. He who delights in the Lord, he gives the desires of his heart. All right, let's keep on going. So he says, truly I say to you, when you so watch this. Jesus did him. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. So that's for the third time he says, do you, do you love me? He says, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Verse 18. All right, Peter, if you love me, here's your destiny. Truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But, let's stop right there. When we, before we know Christ, we just walked the way we wanted. Mm. We just walked the way we wanted. We dressed ourselves the way we wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another one will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go because you love me. This is so powerful, dude. When we follow Christ, it always takes us to the cross, man. Which is our salvation, really. Nobody sees it. But This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. It's powerful stuff. <clears throat> to Peter, Jesus was his treasure. And he fulfilled that word for his life. Carried away, died upside down on a cross for Jesus, you know. And never thought God abandoned him. That's powerful. How many times we go through tough times we think God abandoned us? <laughs> it's not about God abandoning us, man. It's about us not abandoning him. He's already proved himself faithful. Now we must prove ourselves faithful. This is good work. Acts uh, chapter 5, verse 41, the disciples persecuted for Jesus. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. They had already been locked up, and then, they, then the angel of the Lord, an angel of the Lord delivered them out of the, out of the prison. Okay? Acts chapter 5, verse 41. Sorry, we got distracted. When they had brought them 
They set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter, watch this, Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to us and given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a while. And he said to them, Men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Theodos rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After this, Judas, the, Gal the, the Galilean, rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So, in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan for this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. All right, watch this. Anything that's not real in your heart will fail. Is Jesus Messiah in your heart? If he is, you sh you'll follow him to the grave. See what I'm saying? Because he saved you. Does that make sense? If he's the real deal, and you're the real deal, you'll never give up. Never. Ever. You'll never give up. See what I'm saying? If he's the real deal in your heart, you'll never give up, no matter what the cost. Check this out. Verse 39. But if it is of God, you will, be able, you will not be able to overthrow them, right? Verse 40. And when they called the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council. Watch this. Rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Dude, they must have seen something. They must have got a hold of something. To be, to, you know what I'm saying? Think about this. You know what we don't do? We don't really focus on what Jesus went through for us. If we would focus through on what Jesus went through for us, it would be nothing. What I'm going through for him would be nothing. You know? And that's, that's, the, that's the real deal right there. You know, so these these apostles, they saw Jesus die, man. They saw him get flogged or they heard about it. They witnessed it. So they were willing to die for it. You know, when, when we meet Jesus, our life gets changed forever, man. You know, and every day in the temple from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. So they beat him and then they went back to preaching. <laughs> ah, Jesus is awesome, man. We have to have complete abandon for the gospel no matter what the cost of saving lives and spreading the good news of jesus philippians 4 4 through 13 says rejoice in the lord always again i will say rejoice why am i rejoicing because i get to serve my master jesus who laid his life down for me and no matter what the cost everything i do for him is worth it see what i mean rejoice in the lord always but watch this why do christians have a problem rejoicing though because they are not consumed with Jesus. They're consumed with the things of this world. So when the things of this world get taken away, they get mad at God. Why? Because God's there to serve them. Not them to serve God. God is a God to be served. We are a creation to do serving. You know? And if we understand that about ourselves, if we understand that's our position, then we'll always stay humble. And then God will exalt us. It's a powerful, beautiful relationship we have with Him. 
God doesn't leave us low, but we must all remember. We must always remember our place, that we were bought with a price. That we check this out. Romans uh, so it says, "Rejoice, Lord, always." Again, I'll say, "Rejoice." Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Watch this. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts. That's a powerful thing right there. The peace of God will guard your hearts. Why? You need your hearts guarded when you're going through tough times so you won't get your focus off. See? Will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, watch this, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. So this is cool. He just gave us the secret to walking in peace. Refocusing. Back to series number two and three. Refocusing and rejoicing on the goodness of God. You see? We're going through tough times. Why am I doing this? Because God is so good. Why am I going through this hell? Because God loves me so much. I'm doing it for him because I love him. You see? I'm willing to do whatever it takes to further the kingdom of God. I'm doing whatever it takes to help men, you know, overcome in their lives. Whatever it takes. You see? Why? Because I trust my Lord and I love him no matter what the cost. And he's going to take care of me. All right, check this out. And even if he doesn't. <laughs> see, that's the point we really got to get to. Even if he doesn't. He already did enough. He already did enough to buy my whole life. This is so powerful, man. He purchased my life. He purchased your life. He already did enough to cause me to abandon all for him. No matter what the cost. Finally, brothers, okay, so I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have, re you have revived, you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I'm in to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. So I wrote on here, Paul... You know that this Philippians chapter 4, 4 through 13, everybody uses it for prosperity teaching. But you know that Paul was writing this letter from prison. He was giving us a secret. Like, I'm in prison right now. I'm being persecuted for my faith. But I choose to rejoice. I choose to rejoice because I know what he paid for me. We have to realize that what we put our mind on is the thing that has power over us. It's really good. We have to realize whatever we set our mind on that's the thing that has power over us. I would much rather Jesus have power over me. So I'm going to set my mind on Jesus. Because he's a good master. It doesn't matter. You know, that, you know that we are a slave, period. Either you're a slave to sin, or you're a slave to righteousness. Either you're a slave to the world, and this abusive master that there is, or you're a slave to God. Because check this out. If you already were in debt, check this out. If you already were in debt, then you go into slavery. Okay? Now you're working for somebody else. Okay? This is what happens. Because of our sin, we were already in bondage. We were already a slave. Does that make sense? So when Jesus purchased us, we went from one master to another master. You see? The difference is, Jesus is a good master. <laughs> He's not an abusive master. You know? It's, it's a different mindset when we get it in our mind. We must have our, thought, our minds consumed with Christ and His calling on our lives. Verse 8 says, Whatever is true, honorable, just... Pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, anything worthy of praise. Think about those things. Faith is made, I already said this earlier, faith is made for impossibility. 
Like a flashlight was made for the dark. It's good. The stupidest thing you can do when it gets dark is turn off the light on your flashlight. <laughs> and the stupidest thing you can do when it gets impossible is turn off your faith. We were created for the purpose of being consumed by God. So we need to, okay, so I'll put this on here. We need to stop putting conditions on God. Well, if you'll do this, then I'll serve you, God. Well, when, uh, what, what he has already done was already enough. <laughs> In fact, there's no employee that creates his own job description and tells his boss what he's going to do. <laughs> right? <clears throat> the scripture says that we don't belong to ourselves. 1 Corinthians 6, 18 through 20. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. 1 Peter 1, 14-23. As obedient children, do not be conformed, watch this, to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. We inherit his holiness. This is so powerful. You get married to Jesus, you get his name. It's so cool, man. All right, sorry. And if you call on him as father, who judges part... You know what? Let me stop for here. You know what? If you order a number one at Whataburger, you're going to get burger, fries, drink. All three. It's a combo meal. All right? So when you get Jesus, you get salvation... And you become a servant. You see what I'm saying? And you need to love and forgive. All these things are they're a combo package. You can't, you can't accept Jesus without getting all of this too. You can't just get one part of it. Does that make sense? All of it belongs to you. All of it belongs to you. All of it you're obligated to obey. Does that make sense? It's weird. But my point is a lot of times people just want one thing of the gospel. When that, but that's only half a gospel. That's not a complete gospel. That's a false gospel. When we receive Jesus, we receive it all. Everything that he has for us, whether we whether it hurts when it gets cut on us or whether it sets us free, it all gonna set us free. It's all for love. All all of it is love. All of it is love. We just sometimes have a hard time seeing that. Make sense? All right, we'll keep going. Since it is written, "You shall be holy, for I am holy." And if you call on him as Father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways of in, uh, inherited from your forefathers. We talked about that fathers, right? Not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was forsaken before the foundation of the world, watch this, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word. Of God, So we see right here that we were not bought with just precious silver or gold, but we were bought with the blood of the Lamb. It's a powerful, it was a high, heavy price that Jesus paid for us. And it cost him everything. That's, that's the, see, that's, that's the thing. It's not, Jesus never asked us to do something that he never did. You know? He really is a good master. He really is a good boss. You know? He went through the dirt. You know? And check this out. You know the only reason you even live here anymore? It's not for ourselves. We live here for one reason, to follow Jesus. And where did Jesus go? He came to earth. He came to earth to set people free. So what we are now commissioned to do is to love the whole world and suffer, if need be, for the sake of all mankind to come to know Jesus Christ. 
You see? Hmm. And so if we, were, if we were consumed with that, man, I am following Jesus. Where's Jesus, man? Jesus is right here, and he wants to serve the people right in front of me and love the people, no matter what the cost, you know, for the Lord. All right, thank you, Father. That's it. In Jesus' name, I thank you, Father, that we'll know who we are in you and the sacrifice that you paid for us, and Father, that we'll be willing to lay down the same sacrifice for you. And Lord, that it costs us everything. We'll be consumed with you. Not consumed with selfish desires, but Father, we know that in your word it says if we'll seek you with all of our heart, Father, we'll find you. And it says in Matthew 6, 33, that if we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things will be added unto you. It's not even a matter, Father, of whether or not you're good enough to provide. It's just a matter of this is how it works, man. You follow God, he provides. And that's powerful. You know, you know, I've got to say something else to everybody. You know, we have, you know, when you have the military, the military, they house them, they feed them. A soldier never goes without food, never goes without shelter, and he never goes without Medicare. That's the way God is, man. When you sign up for the army of the Lord, you are consumed with your orders and what he has for you and your station and where he wants you to be. And God says, I will feed you, I will shelter you, I will clothe you, I will keep, I will keep you. See? But I just have to have one mission on mine. My, my concern is to serve him. His concern is to serve me. Thank you for tuning in to the Bold as a Lion ministry podcast. For additional teaching, prayer, information, or support, please visit our website at www.boldasalignedministries.com. Subscribe to our Facebook for updates on what God is doing in our ministries and our YouTube page for updated teachings hosted at the Barracks Discipleship and Recovery House. For weekly refreshing word, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, or Podomatic. We pray strength and blessing for you and yours and for the courage to walk boldly for God.